That's how I remember. Stalactites grow down. Stalagmites grow up. Or more, more accurately, stalactites are formed from above. And stalagmites are created growing upward from the floor. And for years I used to take people into a grotto and they would all take pictures and all be happy. In fact, one of them, I don't know whether I should say this because we're going out on the net, but one of them had definitely fallen off in the dim and distant past and had been cemented back on, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, I know you can't believe that, but that's what sometimes happens. It was cemented back on, and let me tell you, as the water rushed through, the cement was more and more beginning to be seen. Today I've used this analogy for my message, I hope will become clear in a minute, to do with stalactite living. And let let me read the scripture and then I'll explain what I mean by all this strange illustration. Paul says in Romans 12, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, This is your spiritual or reasonable act of worship. Verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. In 2009, every person in here, including me, we were formed. Uh, we are not the same people we were last Christmas. Uh, Some undergo dramatic changes and others undergo more subtle changes. But every one of you and every one of me, we're not who we were last year. We're different. This year has formed us just as the year before, formed us. We talk often about having formative years. You know that phrase? Formative years. That means the years that formed us. But in fact, all the years are formative. There are some years that are more strategically young. When you're young, I guess you are formed in a certain way more easily but we are all being formed in a certain way. And you're not the person you were. You're not the person you were last Christmas Day. You're someone else. You've been formed. But here is the burning question, because, of course, that is, that is not something we can do anything about. Someone said, constant change is here to stay. Here is my question for me, for you. In 2009, were we transformed 
or did we conform? Both contain the word form, and both are in Romans 12, verse 2. Paul says, do not conform to the, any longer, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And of course, we know what he means, the renewing of the person's mind in Christ. In 2009, you are either conformed to the world or you were transformed by the power of heaven. You either took another thousand cubits in God's direction or you went a thousand cubits back in the world's direction. It's very rare indeed for someone to stay static. I guess it's possible, but even then we might say that to remain static is not to move on in God. So even static is probably not the best option anyway. In 2009, you were either transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ, or you were conformed to the pattern, to the easy, easy way, the pattern of the world. That's a piece of cake. To go after God takes courage, sacrifice, zeal, overcoming disappointment, faith, etc. Not being able to do what you want. That takes courage and strength. Our default mode is to go back into the ways of the world. That's our default mode. So we have to battle against that. Now, today, I'm not suggesting that we should uh, cry our eyes out at all the things we've got wrong. and uh, That's not my point. My point really is looking across into next year as to how we're going to be and how I'm going to be. In 2010, I can't do anything really about 2009 bar uh, around uh, you know, 15 extra days or some such thing. No, I can't really do anything about this year. But I can do something about next year. And next year, I can make a conscious decision, and I'll come to this at the end, to be transformed by heaven's power. Or, I can just do it the easy way and find myself, it's like the world is like a, it's like a current, or like a blowing wind, it will blow you, in, in, in its direction, or pull you in its direction. It takes courage to swim against the flow, you see. So what I want to do just for a very short time this morning is I want to talk about what are the things that, that, that create that in us. And the whole stalactite, stalagmite thing I hope now is a little clearer, i.e. stalactites are formed from above. Stalagmites grow from below. And so we want to have stalactite living. We want to be formed from above. That when people look at you, you're different because, not because you go to church, not because you know all the words to hark the herald, but because 
You have been formed from heaven, not from the earth. So I want to look at today, very, very quickly, because we have a little work to do at the end. I want to look at what are the things that change us? What are the, what's the agency that forms us in a limestone cave? The stalactites and stalamites are formed by water and limestone and uh, dissolving it, becoming something called calcite. So there are agencies that form things. What are the agencies that form us? And I've thought of three of them as normal. And here they are. Number one, we are formed by the presence and the power of God. That is one of the main agencies that forms us. I want to tell you this. And I speak for myself. Maybe I can't speak for you, but I speak for myself, if for no one else today. I need to be in the presence of the Lord. If I am not in the presence of the Lord, I am going to backslide. I'm going to do that. Because it is default. It is default to to play to the negative. It is default. Jesus said, The way of life is a narrow way. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. So we know full well that to be a Christian means we fight against the flow. It means some people fall out with you. It means you can't be popular everywhere. It means that not everyone can understand you, etc. It means you can't do everything you want to do. You have to fight against the flow. Jesus said, unless you abide in me and my words in you, you can't achieve anything. And I can tell you this, that unless we as God's people stand in God's presence, we will not be changed. Because as much as we can hear sermons and uh, have aspirations for our life, as much as we can make New Year's resolutions or whatever it is you want to make, which are normally blown, aren't they, by the fifth? (laughs) For the most Olympian of us. Unless it is mixed. and Because good aspirations are commendable. Resolutions to be pure and right and live holy are commendable. I think we're supposed to have altar calls where people say, you know what, may your fire burn in me and burn out everything in me you don't want. I think we're supposed to have those sort of moments where we consecrate ourselves again to God. I think we're supposed to have those moments. But I tell you this, we can have all of that and all the right music playing and everything. But unless that is mixed with regularly visiting the presence of God, it will not produce fruit. We must have 
the presence of God in our lives. If you don't have it, you will not go a thousand cubits in God's direction in 2010. You will be pushed back by the current, blown around by the wind, and find yourself backslidden, not who you were a year before. The agencies of backsliding are so subtle. No one moves from a position of great glories in God to total apostasy the next moment. No one does that. There's a subtle journey. And one of the first things that happens is the presence of God becomes a place of neglect. Now, let's just be very clear. I'm I'm not talking about coming to church. Important though that is. It's possible to actually come to church and not be in the presence of God. Uh, someone showed me something this week actually in the, in the scriptures in Genesis that Jacob met God. And in the place where he met God, he called that place Bethel, which means the house of God. And seven chapters later, he comes back there. He meets God again. And this time, he calls it El Bethel. The God of the house of God. In other words, he recognized that when he had that second encounter, it wasn't just a place where he expected God to be. It was a place where God really was. It's not just a house of God. It became a place where God truly was touching his life. The scripture says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. The inference is, I hope I'm not adding to the Bible, but the inference is that if you don't wait on the Lord, you'll become weak. And like Samson in the Old Testament, who said, I will arise and I'll become all strong. And in that moment, he wasn't strong. Because the the pattern of his life had changed. He was no longer being transformed by heaven. He'd conformed to the pattern of the world. So when he wanted strength, it wasn't there. When he wanted strength, it wasn't there. We must have the presence of God in our lives. If you don't have it, if you don't have the presence of God, if you don't know what it is to meet with God in your life, by yourself, you become very weak. And when those moral dilemmas come, when those ethical moments come, when the line is there and you have to be a Christian and not a non-Christian, in that moment, you won't have the strength to do what you really want. Because the presence will not have fueled you. You'll be a vehicle with no petrol. Gabriel says in the Christmas story here in Luke 119, one of my favorite verses, I must preach on it much more. He says, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. The reason why Gabriel was effective, the reason why that Christmas angel gets so many lines in the play, was because, not because he was special, not because he was chosen, not because he was God's favorite, but because he stood in the presence of God. 
I'm not asking you today, when was the last time you were in the presence of God? I'm asking you, when will be the next time? When's the next time? Will 2010 be full of the presence of God for you? Being in the presence of God. I will never forget how I once went to a conference and they had one of these moments where they were all going to be in the presence of God. So I was all excited about it. I brought my Bible and I came into the meeting. It was a morning meeting of a conference. And they said, okay, everyone, lie on the floor. So I lay on the floor. I thought, no, what happens now? And do you know what happened? For two hours, nothing. I thought, surely there must be more to it than this. Come on. Let's have something happen. And they're all lying there. All these women, they're all crying. And, oh, I love you, Jesus. I'm lying there thinking, come on, entertain me. Do something here. (laughs) And we're told every now and then someone will take the mic and say, listen, listen to the Lord. Maybe he's speaking to you. And I remember we were up in the the church. It was like a shop. It was the top floor of a shop. And right outside, through the windows, there was a market. And there was a guy selling bananas. And he sold those bananas for the whole two hours I was lying on the floor by the window. I know exactly how much they cost. I know exactly how much they weighed. What's the Lord saying? Well, the Lord seems to be saying there's a great banana deal just on the other side of the window here. In the end, I sat up and began to read my Bible. And as I sat up reading the Bible and looking around the room, everyone else is just in the presence of God. And I realized, I realized, and I think maybe men find this more difficult than women, but I, I, it's, it's probably across the board anyway. I realized that I could not be still in the presence of God. I had to read. I had to do something. I couldn't just lie there and be with him. And I want to tell you something. That's a problem. Because Jesus wants us to be with him. In Mark's gospel, it says he called his 12 to him so they could be with him, so he could send them out to preach. There are times when I want to go out and preach, but I haven't been with him. I've not just been restful in his presence. One of the great agencies of being formed from above is to be in the presence of the Lord. If we're not in the presence of the Lord, and I'd say it's possible to go through a whole two hours of church and not really be in the presence of God at all. It's possible to sing half an hour of songs, but not really touch God at all. And actually, we all become really professional at even looking like we're lost in wonder, love, and praise, but we're not. Because we're thinking about the car, we're thinking about the thinking about the council tax and we're thinking about our job and we're thinking about who's upset us this week and all that's going on. Now, if we want to be formed, if we want to be transformed, we must be in his presence. And King's Church, listen to me, we must never, ever be ashamed of the presence of God. Number two, another Incredible agency to form us and shape us. I've called it here, people and places. I've made no secret of the fact over the years of preaching here that I believe that one of the most powerful things in your life to shape you 
It's the people you uh, hang around with. I could preach this until I'm, uh, well, I'll probably preach it until I die. But one of the most powerful things in my life are the people who are in my life. And they can be powerful for good or for ill. They can be powerful for, for transforming me into the image of God. Or they can be powerful in pulling me away from God. I always think of dear Job, who in the midst of his greatest hour of need, in Job, what will it be, chapter 2? Middle of Job, chapter 2, in the greatest of need, everything has gone wrong, and what he needs now is he needs his wife to be on fire for Jesus, and she says to him, well, why don't you curse God and die? Part of the deal of a marriage partnership is actually we encourage one another to be holy because two are better than one and two are better than one at sinning and two are better than one at being holy because you guard one another so if I'm on a bit of a downer I need Jane to speak to me and say this is this is not what God is wanting us to talk about in this house this is not how God wants us to think and I need to do the same for her Because two are better than one. The Bible says that bad company corrupts good character. That is a scientific formula from heaven, not from Cambridge University. That's from heaven. The bad company corrupts good character. If you hang around with people of bad character, then it will have an effect upon you. Now the problem we all immediately have with this is, well... I'm married to someone of bad character. Or I work with people of bad character. What do you want me to do? Um, get a divorce? What do you want me to do? Go in and, and, and say I need to leave work? No. No, because certain, there are certain areas of our life where we cannot choose the people who are in our lives. When I worked under the ground there, I was not the one hiring and firing So the people I worked with on a daily basis, shared torches with, I had no way to choose them. They were in my life and I accepted them as a challenge from God. And maybe they did the same for me. No, lots of people in our life, we we can't choose. We can't choose. You can't choose who your dad is. You can't choose... Sometimes you can't choose who you're married to. Sometimes you can't choose who is your boss. You you, you can't choose those things. But here's the deal. Where you can choose, choose very well. Choose very well. Because we are shaped and molded by people all the time. You only have to see like a married couple get together and, and now suddenly one has the accent of the other. Or they use the same phrases as one another. We rub off on each other, don't we, all the time. And so, in the same way, just that's a natural thing, but it works spiritually too. I, I, I always encourage, especially young, young people, especially, but it works all the way through life. We need to make some really good quality decisions about who we let into our life. 
And it's not about becoming monks and nuns and hiding ourselves up in monasteries. I'm not talking about that. But there are certain people that I let into my life and certain people I don't. Because I want to be transformed <laughs> into the image of Christ. I want to be around people who challenge me, who challenge me in terms of their, I don't talk about their skill or talent, but they challenge me in terms of their, of their, of, of their moral ethic, of, of their holiness, of their passion for God. And, and I want to encourage you because sometimes what can happen in Christian communities in cross churches and things is that actually people on fire for God can you might find them intimidating actually and so you keep away from them because you think well I'll never be able to you know keep up with them but maybe you you need to have a just a change of heart about that and say now actually I want to hang around people on fire because maybe I can get on fire too I tell you there are Lots of times, and so I'm, I, I'm not talking necessarily about people who are leaders. There's all sorts of people who can teach us so much. There's one or two pastors I know. I don't want to hang around with them because they're. I, I don't want to be like them. And maybe they don't want to be like me. So it's so people, just like that water comes through the top of that cave, starts forming things. People are. And places, you know, where we go and, and the kind of company we have. In 2009, if you were transformed into heaven's likeness, I can almost guarantee that you had some great mates with you on that journey. You didn't go on that journey alone. But if you were conformed to the world, I guarantee you didn't go on that journey alone either. And there were people who kind of pulled you that way. Proverbs 13 verse 20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. It's a mathematical formula. So if we want to be transformed, we need to be in the presence. Under the power of God. If we want to be transformed, we need to be around the right people in the right places. Finally, if we want to be transformed, we need to think about issues of pleasure and pride. In Genesis 4, verse 7, we read the story, of, it's, it's a Cain and Abel story, and Abel of course, dies, and Cain is the killer. And God speaks to him, and he says this to, to Cain. He says this, he says, you know what? You need to be careful. He knew he was very angry. And he said to him, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you, he says to him, you must master it. You must master it. If we're going to be uh, transformed into the likeness of heaven, we have to take mastership over ourselves. Uh, Sometimes I hear uh, people taking authority over devils and spirits and all manner of things. And actually, uh, while those things are real and total, absolute realities... 
I found, I don't know about you, but I found the biggest thing I need to take authority over is the person I look at in the mirror every day. He's more dangerous than the devil, much more dangerous, because he's running, he's running my life, and the devil isn't. You want to take authority over someone? You want to take authority over an evil power, or an evil force? The Bible says our biggest problem is not the devil, it's our flesh. It's the, this is what I want to do, this is how I feel, and all that stuff. God says to Cain, he says, it's crouching at your door. And it always is. Problems like this are always at our door. Am I going to get my own way or not? Am I going to be 100% happy or not? And if I'm not, what shall I do? I've been offended. What shall I do? I know I'll, I'll show them. And all that ugly stuff. Ugly, ugly, ugly stuff. This wonderful verse in Proverbs 16 and verse 32, if you've never underlined it in your Bible, do. It's something like this. It's actually better to take mastership over yourself than to be able to take over a whole city. This verse says it's far easier for, and, he's in the, and the writer is thinking of a military commander in the verse. And he's saying, it's far easier for a military officer to take over a city than to actually rule himself. It's much easier to, to bring soldiers and take over a city than it is to control one's temper. Or to control one's uh, fleshly appetite. Much easier. What the writer is saying is there's something inside us that beats by default, often to do what is wrong. And we have to take mastership over it. Jesus said in John 3 and 19, he said that men men love darkness. They don't want to come into the light because their deeds are evil. And so we have a problem on the inside of us and a desire to do what is right, a desire to be at the center of our own universe. But God is at the center of the universe. Not me, not you. God is at the center of the universe. So I think these are three agencies that are at work in our lives all the time. Do we stand in the presence of God or not. If we don't, we're not going to be strong. Number two, who are we hanging around with and where? Because these are massive influences upon our lives. And number three, the whole issue of pleasure and pride. Who is in charge of your life? Is it really God Or is it absolutely, definitely you or me? Are we running things? Whereas God says, no, no, I want to come and I want to transform you and renew your mind. People will accuse you of being brainwashed. And a good answer always is, well, with a mind as dirty as mine, it needed a good clean. We need to be brainwashed. Because inside our brain, there's a lot of dirt. 
I want to finish by taking us to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Will you turn in your Bible there? Deuteronomy 30, and I want us to read, uh, well, a good half of the chapter anyway. There's a uh, wonderful uh, ditty or song taken over by um, football uh, crowds. At least it was last time I looked. The song goes, or the chorus part goes something like this. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. I think it begins, when I was just a little girl. I'm singing a girl song. I asked my mummy, what will I be? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. I love the song. It's, it's, it's ever so wrong, though. Because the future is yours to see. There's certain things about the future you can't see. You can't see where you might be living in 15 years from now or even 15 months. You can't see what you'll be doing. You can't see whether disaster, illness, tragedy will strike you. You can't see. And you're not supposed to see. But in terms of who you are 15 years from now, that decision is yours and mine. You can't know in 15 years what your bank balance will be. You can't know where you're living. But you can know who you're going to be. The future is yours to see. Let's read a little bit of this from verse 11. God says to Israel, and it transfers itself quite easily to us today, He says, now, what I'm commanding you today is not difficult. It's not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven, so you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. He's saying, you know, this message, it's not far away. You don't have to... You don't have to go on a quest to dig it out of an ancient pyramid. There's no new information, nothing fresh, nothing hidden away, no code. He says, what God wants you to do is very near you, verse 14. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. This is what God said to them. And this is what God says to me about my 2010 and what he says to you and our 2011s and 12. See, I set before you, verse 15, I set before you today life, prosperity, death and destruction. 
For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But, 17, but if your heart turns away, and you're not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day, you'll certainly be destroyed. You'll not live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. Today we don't turn away to other gods normally. Or at least if we do, they're not religious gods. There's a big god normally in all our lives. It's called me, myself and I. It's like a holy trinity, you know. Or my desire, or my way, or this is what I want, or this is what I think, or this is what I'm doing. But God says, I want to be in charge. It's me. I bought you. you you're a slave. You belong to me. He says, verse 19, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death. He's saying you can't blame God for this. Because I am setting before you a choice. It's not been predetermined. It's not fate. You're going to live the rest of your life as of now. And so am I. And we're going to decide how we're going to be. He says, I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, says God, choose life. So you and your children may live and you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. Is that the same in your Bible? The Lord is your life. And he'll give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers. The future is ours to see. The future you is yours to see. You can, uh, you can decide. You can decide. You can't do anything about what's past. Neither can I. So we can relax about that. We can relax. Because we can't go back and undo what we've done. We can't go and revisit the past and do something else. Can't do that. But we can do something about now. And we can do something about tomorrow and the, the days that lie ahead. In 2010, you're going to be formed. And so am I. We're all going to be different a year from now. The issue will be what we chose, the choices we made. It's not to do with God's choice. It's not to do with God's blessing. It's not really even to do with God's favor. Because his favor comes to all who obey him. It's to do with what choices do we make? Do we choose to be conformed? Oh, that's so easy. Piece of cake. You don't have to be a hero to be a rebel. It's easy. Any, any, anyone can do it. Rebels are formed at four years old. Anyone can do it. Maybe earlier. <laughs> and you'll be transformed. Or rather conformed into the world. Or will you be transformed by the renewing of your mind? You're going to be a stalagmite and have your life built up from earth, earthly things, worldly things? 
Are you going to be a stalactite and be and fashioned from what is above? The future. The future is yours. The future is yours. Let's all bow our heads. Thank you to everyone listening to us on the on the web.